0: Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brian Dumas, and I'm an elder here at the Journey Church, and I'm kind of filling in for Pastor John, who's on a needed (laughs) break today. So I will be your speaker. By the way, isn't this band amazing? (laughs) Growing up, my best friend was Tommy. Uh, He was a couple years older than I was. And he was wise to the world. He was bigger, he was stronger, he was faster. Uh, And he taught me a lot of things that I thought was very cool. And a lot of things that I learned later on in life that maybe was not so cool. Like stealing the wheels off of Georgie's wagon and then painting them green so when we put them on our race cart, no one would know where they came from. He was my childhood role model until my family moved away. Tommy was my friend, and I wanted to be like Tommy. Who was it that you wanted to be like when you were growing up? Was it the same person over the years, or did that uh, change over time? For some of us, that influence underwent a remarkable change when we met Jesus Christ and invited him in to take control over our life it kind of opened up a whole new meaning to the idea of growing up. And as the Bible clearly teaches, the goal is to become more Christ-like, to become more like Jesus. So the question for today is, well, how does this happen? In 1 John 2, 6, we read, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And in Philippians 2, 5, we read, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, John was referring to our actions, and Paul was referring to our mental attitude. And taken together, it really encompasses all that we really are. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, how grateful we are that we can come to you and learn from your word more about you and how to apply it to our lives We pray, Lord, that you would take this message, make it yours, and press upon our hearts the things that you would have us know, and we'll give you all glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Our message today is drawn from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. If you have a Bible with you, please open to that passage. If not, you can follow along from our overhead screens here, or from your smartphone, or from your tablet. 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. In the first verse of chapter 3, John marvels at the depth of love that God has for us and that we're called the children of God. Now He could have called us his creation, which we are. He could have called us mankind, which we are. And he also could have called us a bunch of moral follow which we are. But instead he calls us his children, which refers to the followers of Jesus Christ. We are the children of God. His adopted spiritual offspring by virtue of God's love for us and Christ's work on the cross. Have you ever been told how much like one of your uh, parents you are, part of that might be in your DNA, Part of that might be in your upbringing. As a child of God, you now share in his divine nature. And as his child, you can grow in his love and through his teachings in the word. But then John says something interesting. In verse 2, he says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God. So what about that word now? What's that about? And how do you become a child of God? Well, We know that a person becomes a child of God at the moment of salvation. Romans 10, 9 reads, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. And in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 we read, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now we don't deserve these gifts. We don't merit this gift. We cannot earn this gift. It's God's gift of love to us. And that gift is not contingent upon our living the perfect life after receiving Jesus as our Savior. We do not love our status as a child of God because we, or we don't lose our status because we sin. We forfeit that status only if we reject Christ to become our Savior in the first place. A true believer belongs to God and is sealed unto him into our day of redemption. That's stated clearly in Ephesians 4, 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, these last few verses are familiar. We've talked about them several times in the last few weeks, but they're important. They speak to the security of the believer immediately upon belief in Jesus Christ. In the world of our insecurity, this is the one safe harbor that we do have, and that is the now. But we, we, we still struggle as imperfect beings, don't we? I know I do. But there will never be a time when a child of God is not a child of God. But as John said, it, but it hasn't been revealed yet what we will be. That we can only imagine, and by placing our trust in the Son of God for salvation, we become a work in progress for now. But that work will come to a point of of perfection, a point of completion at a future time. What we are now is only a foretaste of what we will be. Have you ever had those moments when you just don't feel very special, when you don't feel like you measure up, or when someone says something really unkind that hurts or makes you feel less inadequate. In those moments, think on what John has just told us. You are a child of God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the eternal and unfathomable being whose majesty is beyond our comprehension has called you, you, to be his child. Now, if that is not special, I don't know what is. God loves us with an infinite and unconditional love, and he loves every other person just as much as he loves us. (coughs) Say what? Yeah, that's pretty hard to accept at times, isn't it? We see another person who may be doing the most unconscionable things and think, did you see that, God? How can you love that guy as much as you love me? The answer is quite simple. God does not love on the basis of who we are. He loves on the basis of who he is. God loves from within his own character. Human love is often unjust because it's given or withheld as tempered by our old sin nature. That's not the same with God, whose character is unchangeable and without any wavering. God is always just. So, in light of eternity and a joy-filled present, our first step as a follower of Jesus in growing up, maturing in the faith, is inviting Jesus Christ to become the Lord of our life. You must become a child of God. Continuing in 1 John 3, 2, Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The word now indicates our present state as a Christian. But then John tells us there's a contrast between what our present state is and what will be when we're united with Christ. Philippians 1-6 reads, Being confident of this, That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. The Bible tells us that we're expected, we're expected to mature and become more Christ-like every day, a work in progress. Now, lest you think that this becomes a pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps mission, God has provided you with a helper not only to guide you, but to motivate you to become more Christ-like. The Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in you the moment that you commit to Jesus Christ, the moment of belief. He will guide you in all truth. He will convict you of sin when it separates you from God. He will not only discourage you from moving away from God, but he will inspire you to move closer to him, to walk in his light. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God has chosen to make known Among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you walk in the Spirit, you walk connected with God. When you've confessed all known sin and seek to follow God's leading in your life, you experience the fruit of the Spirit. And we know from Galatians 5.22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such there is no law. Now these are qualities that people spend their lifetime pursuing and for some, never obtaining. They are a byproduct of the Holy Spirit operating within the believer that inspires a relationship with God. Now, at this point in time, you may be connected with God, but you still are subject to the temptations of sin that can lead you away from God. When that happens, the joy of walking with the Lord can be lost until you confess those sins and restore that relationship. Now, the Holy Spirit may have to work overtime to convict you of sin so that you will turn back to God. By the way, Have you ever thanked the Holy Spirit for making you absolutely miserable from moving away from God? Hmm, I find it amazing how long it sometimes takes for me to get the message. As a Christian matures in the faith by walking with God and learning more about him through his word, the grace of God will operate within you and raise the quality of your life to levels you thought not possible without Christ. It evidences your participation in the divine nature to others who will notice that, and they'll want those special qualities for themselves. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As wonderful as it is, putting God in control of your life that can be had right now, John tells us that's only a preview of coming attractions. You know, the Bible actually devotes more words telling us what negative things will pass away when we go to be with Christ than it does trying to describe the new order of things that will occur when we are united with him. And I believe that's the way it is because we're not presently equipped to handle what God has in store for us. As Jack Nicholson shouted in a few good men, you can't handle the truth. Well, allow me to add here, yet. Peter, James, and John caught a glimpse of what is in store for us at what is called the transfiguration of Christ. In Luke 9, we read, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Our present bodies just aren't suited for eternity. (laughs) And I I speak from personal experience here, and I doubt there's anyone here over the age of 40 that doubts that. Can I get an amen on that? (laughs) All of the modern advances in medical science cannot prepare us to live eternally. Joint replacements, stents, bypasses are only temporary measures There's only one thing that will allow you to live eternally, and that is a heart transplant, a heart transplant from God. You can't prevent the body from aging, but you can be renewed from within by the Spirit of God, which is eternal. And whether we go to meet him in the air or must sleep until his return, we will be like him. God has us covered either way. As a Christian, he's provided us a pathway to him that we might become more like Jesus daily. You don't have to wait to become more like Jesus. It can start right now. As you learn more about God through his word and experience the joy of connecting with God, it will flood you with hope and anticipation of the return of Christ who will then complete the process. Now, this is a transition worth praying for. It's no wonder, Paul wrote, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I have a a friend who's been reluctant to commit his life to Christ because he has questions. There are things that he just doesn't understand. There is not a person in this room who hasn't said that to themselves more than once. The answer lay within God's word and asking him into your life. It's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the spiritual truths contained in God's Word. The more you learn of God, the more you will love Him and seek to become more Christ-like. Would you like some assurance that your future will be even more wonderful than you can possibly imagine? Walk with Christ now. We will be like Him. The Holy Spirit will transform you. And as you mature in your faith, you will discover exactly what Paul was talking about. If you're looking for assurance without Christ, you're going to be disappointed. You can't do it on your own. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the temptation of the world caused by evil desires. That's almost unimaginable, isn't it? To participate in the divine nature. Jesus is the reason for our hope. And hope means confident expectation concerning something in the future. And in this case, that hope is in him. God has told us through his word we're going to be like him and that this hope will lead us to purify ourselves in Christ. That's recorded in verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves as he is pure. The word purify means to cleanse from anything that is inconsistent with the nature of Jesus Christ, anything that prevents us from becoming more like Jesus Christ. Cleansing means confession of all known sin to God and repenting from it, turning away from it, and back to God. Believers in fellowship with God accept the responsibility of keeping themselves pure for Christ's sake. And it's important to note that cleansing does not obtain hope. It's the other way around. The hope we have in Christ drives our cleansing. When you are abiding in Christ, the hope and the anticipation of this will uh, be generated by the Holy Spirit. And it will have a snowball effect in you. The more you abide in him, the more he will purify you. And that results in joy and anticipation of your day of redemption when you are united with Christ, and it will drive your ambition to become even more Christ-like. Now, we're we're currently residents in this world, and we've only seen a glimpse of the deity of Jesus as a Christian. But it's important to note that we do not let the limitations of our present circumstances obscure what God has in store for us. I would think that growing old has to be painful for those without Christ. They have nothing for which to look forward to except the loss of health, and the prospect of the grave. Now for the Christian, the best is yet to come. He has a brighter and better day now and ahead. Each day is one day closer to the most blessed state yet. But we know that when he is revealed, here John conveys that note of hope, the coming of Christ for his own. The word know portrays the idea of sureness. We know with innate Assurance that we will be like him. We'll receive a full transformation, spiritually and physically, at the point when Christ comes back. And that is the consummation of salvation. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The Apostle John wrote in his gospel in chapter 3, he must increase, but I must decrease. In the process of growing up, becoming more Christ-like is perfectly summed up by that statement. You may have uh, noted that the band's first song of of praise was right on the mark. A little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Pure in your Purifying yourself, then, is our second step in growing up. Getting rid of anything that's operating in your life that is contrary to the character of Christ. Now, I forgot one. I live with a consummate planner. Whether the event is a church-wide affair or a dinner with another couple, appropriate preparations must be made. Outcomes are anticipated and plans are made accordingly. Do you know what a post-it note is? You know, those little sticky things you write on, you put on the refrigerator, cupboards. She has an auto ship account for post-it notes (laughs) with several companies. (laughs) And her behavior is in anticipation of making that event successful. Well, likewise, anticipation of Christ's return is key in making a difference in how we behave. Jesus may come at any moment. Do you have anything you need to do? Last minute preparation is not acceptable. Ask yourself if you knew, if you knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, would you be doing anything different today? It will happen in a blink of an eye, and there will be no time for corrective action neither turning to God for salvation nor confessing sin currently operating in your life. For the unbeliever, now is the appointed time to ask God for forgiveness and into your life. For the believer, you need to continually examine your walk with God and confess all known sin without delay. Now there's one more element to growing up in Christ that I'd like to mention, and that is sharing your faith with others. It was important enough to be the last words of Jesus on earth before he ascended to heaven. In Acts 1-8, we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Huh? You say you must be a witness For Jesus, oh, boy, you were doing good, Brian, until you started talking about being a witness for Jesus. I can't do that. I'm an introvert. I'm not very good at putting things into words. I'm no Billy Graham. Well, neither am I. But every Christian, every Christian knows why they turned to God in the first place and what difference that it made. And that is as pure of a witness as it gets. It doesn't require a divinity degree. It doesn't require a printed script. You know that story. And you tell that story to others, you are walking in the steps of Jesus, following Jesus' command, becoming more Christ-like. Being a witness for Jesus evidences a maturing, a confidence in your faith. I believe that a lot of us feel that we uh, don't want pushback if we talk about Jesus. We're afraid we might say the wrong thing or be contested at what we say. When Christ spoke about being a witness, he wasn't speaking of eloquent theological arguments. He was talking about testifying what you have experienced in your life as a result of inviting him into it and the basic message of the gospel. You know, a witness can only speak of what he has personally seen or experienced. The rest is what we call hearsay. If you are truly a Christian, no one can deny what you've experienced. You are a short witness to the truth of the gospel message. 2 Timothy 2.12 has something interesting to say. If we endure, we shall also reign with him, if, he, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If you're a follower of Jesus, doors are going to be open for you, to be a witness for him. And God wants you to walk through that door. It starts with your own family and expands from there. And as you mature in your walk with Jesus, you'll come to understand the value of what you have to share. And you will look and recognize those opportunities. And that... Is our third point in growing up, becoming a witness for Jesus. Now, as David comes up on stage to play our closing music, I'd like to add one final thought. We usually associate witnessing for God with an unbeliever, but it's just as important to the believer. All too often, we downplay the importance of going to church or having fellowship with other believers. Have you ever heard anybody say, hey, I don't have to go to church to become a Christian? Well, that may be true, but it will not help you to grow as a Christian. It provides opportunities to share the things with Christ, to mutually support and learn from each other and grow more Christ-like together. It provides an opportunity to extend that hand of fellowship to others in need, or, you know, even to grasp that hand for yourself if necessary. Now, it could be you've been thinking about God lately, but you haven't really asked him into your life yet. You've got questions. You have doubts. But you know in your heart there has to be more in this world than just hate and uncertainty. Well, I'm here to testify that you're right. There is more, much more, and only God can provide it. What's going on in the world is only going to get worse. It'll get worse until Jesus returns, and that's not going to change. I open the message today talking about my boyhood friend Tommy. The last time I saw Tommy was after my family moved about three years later. And Tommy and a few of his friends drove down my new neighborhood street where I was playing football in the street with my new friends. He was driving his flashy convertible and he was smoking a cigarette. You know, I, I, I barely recognized him. He didn't look the same. He didn't act the same. I didn't know him. And neither of us really Knew what to say, and after a few words, he drove off. Never saw him again. We had both changed. I no longer wanted to be like Tommy. He was not the right moral model. And you know, it wasn't too long after that, I met Jesus. I then wanted to be like Jesus, and I still do. God will not drive off. God is unchangeable and we shall be like Jesus. God had changed my heart and my orientation toward life, and only God can do that. And you can experience that for yourself today by asking him into your life or by reconnecting to him. So let's bow our heads in silent prayer for a moment and let God speak to your heart, and then I will close. If you haven't asked God into your life yet, this may be your opportunity to do so. You can do that right where you sit, whether it's in this building or as you watch the service in your home. Simply make the words of this prayer your own. God, I know there has to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. I've lived my life apart from you, falling short of your standard of perfection and sinning against you. I believe Jesus came to this world, lived a sinless life, then died in my place and rose from the dead that I might be reconciled to you. I've been growing up without you, and I want to change that right now. I now turn from that way of life and ask for your forgiveness and for Jesus to be my Savior, to be my God. Come into my life now, I pray in Jesus' name. Father God, how grateful we are to be called a child of God, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will guide us into all truth, inspire our walk with God, and create within us a desire to become more Christ-like daily. Open doors for us to serve as your witness, not only to those who do not know you yet, but also to our own church family, that we may grow together in Christ. Help us to be intentional in our walk so that we may become a blessing to others. Thank you for loving us, God. Bless us all until we meet again. Amen. If you would uh, like to talk to someone after we close about inviting God into your life, there'll be uh, someone here at the front of the church who will be glad to speak with you privately. For those of you who are watching our service on TV or YouTube, we invite you to join here. Join us here at the Journey Church next Sunday at 11 a.m. And we ask that you take advantage of that opportunity. And we ask that all of you here have a great week, everybody. Bye.